Judges chapter number one is where we're going to be. We're going to do some applicational things tonight. We're going to, we're going to get into this and I'm, I'm going to apply it in a, maybe a, a little unique way from maybe perhaps how you might think. But Judges chapter number one is where we're going to be. Do you normally stand? Okay, would you stand and we'll read the word of God. And uh, Judges chapter number one. Verse 1, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. And so Simeon went with him. And Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek, and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table. As I have done, so God hath requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Let's pray. Father, help us today. Would you please, Lord? We come before you a needy people, and, and God, we, we sometimes have emotions that collide within us, and we struggle at times, dear God, with events in our life and betrayals and wounds, scars that we carry. Lord God, please tonight, would you do a healing work down deep inside who we are and uh, just have your way and will. In this message tonight, in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Any student of warfare knows that there was a time when wars were waged by nations that did not have such vast geographical boundaries as America and England and France and Germany and Russia and, and other nations that we're so familiar with today. As it was in the days when Athens and Sparta did battle against each other, so it was in the time of our text. Every city was a kingdom. In fact, if you'll study your history, um, uh, not only was every city a kingdom, but they actually coined their own, uh, their, their, their own monetary system. Oftentimes, the, the, the feudal lord of that city, the the, the, the Lord of the city kingdom would have, have his image stamped upon that coin. And so when you would go in to another city, they would be money changers. We're going to tell you how much your money with his emblem on it is worth in, in our system. And so that's what a money changer was. And, 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 and they were able to do that for people, much, much like is, is done today in many areas when you exchange foreign currency. But every city... Every city was a kingdom and every city kingdom had a king and, and an army and walls through which it might run into and 
retreat into and hide and find protection from marauding uh, bands of roving uh, enemies of one kind or armies that would come against them. And so there were there was this, the main city with the walls and then there were the rural areas of people scattered out into the countryside and there they would live. And, uh, and, and so they would have their own system and and, and, and the, the, the king of that city, the king of that city would, would, would gather his wealth from the taxes that he collected from these people on the land over which he lorded and over which he ruled. And uh, some were satisfied by having a city kingdom and having subjects and, and, and gathering that money and feeding his family. And he obviously, like many third world countries today, because he sat in the palace, uh, he was wealthy, the people were somewhat poor, and, and uh, he found his wealth off of the sweat of the brow and the strength of the backs of those people that, that worked for him. Uh, and yet there were some that were not satisfied with that. It, they, they had perhaps inherited their city kingdom from their father or from a, from a conflict uh, at some point back in time. And so now, now they look about them and they see their their uh, uh, army and they see their, their city and, and, and they look at their coffers and it may be running a little bit dry there and so they decide that they're going to move out and they're going to add to their domain by conquering another city kingdom. And so one city would fight against another city and when that city was defeated, then the people's uh, taxes and, and the monetary gain would no longer go to that king, but it would come to the king that, that was the conquering king. And if the, if, the, if the king who was being conquered would capitulate, then he would pay, he, he would pay taxes and, 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 and he would pay a stipend to this king uh, in order to remain on his own personal throne there. And so this, this happened. It added to the realm. It only added to them monetarily, but it added to their military strength and it added to their prestige and it added to the subjects that bowed to them and recognized their dominance over them. Uh, and, and so they, they would sort of steamroll throughout and conquer different city kingdoms. Now one such man is the man we read of in our text. His name is Adonai Bezek. Adonai means Lord. Bezek is the main city over which he ruled. He was literally the Lord of Bezek. But he wasn't just satisfied with Bezek. He wasn't just happy with ruling and reigning over the city of Bezek. And so he went out and conquered another city. And then he conquered another city. And, and then another and another. And then having those forces with him, his army was mightier. And so they together went out and they began to conquer and just began to sort of vacuum in all of these little city kingdoms. And at the time of our text, the Bible tells us that 70 different kingdoms had fallen under the might of this man's greed, ambition, and the military machine. Now, he's only mentioned in three verses uh, in all of the Word of God, and yet during this day, in his time, his name was known uh, far and wide. Uh, it was a name to be feared. If you could picture with me the men of a, of, of a, of a, a kingdom gathered upon the walls of a city, the women are nowhere to be seen. They are in their houses trying to comfort kids who are able to read the faces of the adults around them and they can read fear all over it. 
The men there with, with hearts pounding and palms sweaty, they look out at an army that has surrounded their city kingdom and uh, they're, they're afraid because the army that they look at is an army whose metal has been tested time uh, and time again in battle. Those men on those horses, those men that are ready to attack are, are not novices to war. They're, they're at home against the sounds of battle and they're very familiar with the smell of death. Even the horses paw the ground with nostrils flared. They're anticipating the coming battle and the coming charge. I want to tell you, the Lord of Bezek has come not to negotiate. He has come to conquer. And, and unless, unless those men capitulate quickly, the very walls of that city will be stained with their blood and many a woman will be widowed and many a child will be fatherless. Adonai Bezek. We would say today, he was a bad dude. I mean, he was just, he was just notorious for the way that he conquered people. But now let's be honest, if that's all there was, there wouldn't be a whole lot said about, okay, because there were other guys that did that, you know? I mean, this isn't the only guy that conquered people. No, this, these were sinners. But he didn't stop there. You remember the story of Saul and Agag and the Amalekites and you, you know what Saul wanted? Saul wanted a trophy. Because what, what, what these kings would do is they would, keep, they, they would keep the king alive. And they would parade him around with them. And so here's the king on victory day and he's riding in his buggy, so to speak. You know, he's being carried in the, on the arms of his men and he's there. And, and everybody sees all this line of kings behind him and they know one thing. That guy, he's our king and he whooped all of them. Okay. Now, whoop is a South Georgia word, okay? It happens on several occasions. It happens in war, and it happens when you bring an ex in behavior home from school on your report card. Don't ask me how I know about that, but anyhow. So, so here's Adonai Bezek. Saul, by the way, let's go back to Saul. Saul, want, Saul didn't have a trophy case. Saul didn't have anything to give him glory. And so when Saul goes in and, and he spares the best of the sheep and the oxen, he keeps Agag alive. I want a trophy so that when I walk around in my parade, I can at least have one king. And Saul whooped him, you know. And boy, God was upset with that because it was God that gives the victory, not man. But here is, here is, here is Adonai Bezek, and, and, and he's got these, six, these 70 kings that he has lorded over. But he wasn't, he wasn't satisfied with just conquering them. Adonai Bezek wanted to humiliate them. And so 70 times he fulfilled a personal fetish by cutting off their thumbs and cutting off their big toes. Now, if, if, don't try this at home, young people, please, okay? Some of you guys are saying, really? No, no, do not do this without adult supervision. So... If you were to go home and take a hatchet and cut your toe off, you're not going to walk well. Because if you think about it, when you walk, there's pressure on that big toe. You take that baby off and guess what's going to happen? You're going face forward. So here's 70 kings that cannot walk as they once did. Perhaps they had to walk on the outside 
and, 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 and it, it looked ridiculous as they followed the king in his chariot. They, they, they had no thumbs. They could draw no, bull, no bow. They could grip no sword. They could never walk, never fight. They could, they could never maneuver again. Even, even at a table when they sat down, there, there was an inability to, to fully uh, uh, feed and eat properly. Then, then on top of all of that, on top of literally um, uh, maiming them, on, on top of his, uh, the, the fetish of, of dismembering them, he confined them to a dungeon beneath his throne room. Now, if you read history, you'll find that the, the phrase under my table doesn't mean that they sat at his table. Remember the Syrophoenician woman and how that, that, that she said even the dogs get the, the crumbs under the table? So there are 70 kings that draw their meat under his table. And so not only are they missing their thumbs, not only are they missing their toes, but he confines them to a dungeon room in the palace where they realize that above them somebody sits and eats a palatial meal living in the refinery of, of, of royalty and somewhere they know above them there's a, there is celebrations and they can hear the echo of the, of the parties that goes on. They know this, I once lived there but now I am here. I once was on that level, now I'm on this level. I once had everything they had, now I have nothing. And 70 kings realized that they had had every single thing totally stripped from them. And that's how Adonai Bezek ate. That's how he lived. Having totally dominated these people. Now, let, let, me, let me just say this because I, I think it's important. God keeps records. And so the reality, if we study this and we read this out, a man reaps what he sows. Sometimes we feel like we've got to help that, but we don't. That's a law of God, not a law of man. I didn't invent that, so I don't have to help it. I don't even have to prove it. All I have to do is preach it. And, and the Bible says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. And so, sure enough, here's his lament. Listen to his lament. Three score and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table as I have done, as I did to them. So God did to me. And he died in Jerusalem. Now, I want to pick that and I want to make some application. And I want to begin by asking a question. Who's under your table? No, no, I, I, you don't live in a palace, and I understand that. And I, and I know, I, I know that, that you don't have a dungeon room under your table. 
I mean, you may have a two-story home and there may be a basement or another story, but I understand that, but I, but I, but I, I know that the reality of this is not that, you know, I mean, you haven't taken the thumbs off of people and you haven't cut their toes off and, and, and when you sit down and eat, uh, the reality is nobody's eating under your table in a dungeon beneath you and you haven't locked them there and they're not chained in at night. But emotionally and in our heart and in our spirit, so many times we are... We are, we are at a place in our hearts and in our lives where we do great harm and we do maim people and, 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 and we, we, we do, uh, we do uh, condemn them and, and, and we do exile them below us and for, for, for something that they've done and, and, and we no longer allow them on our level and, 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 and we sometimes have the spirit of Adonai Bezek. One of the things that is most disturbing to me in the pastorate is this. How long Christian people who have been forgiven by a God of grace can harbor unforgiveness in their hearts toward others who have wronged them. It's stunning to me. It's stunning to me. As I counsel with people and I find out that they're struggling and they're having a hard time and they haven't really progressed much spiritually and, and as I begin to talk with them and uh, it, sometimes things seep out and it's, it's, it's bitterness and anger and, 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 and something that happened in a former church or something that, that, that happened in a family and, 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 and the, people that they're, the people that they are exiling and the people uh, that, 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 that they are uh, um, uh, maiming mentally by just... just uh, their hatred and their vehemence and their bitterness toward them, they may not even know of it. But it's hindering the spiritual growth of the people that I'm dealing with. Maybe it's a mom or dad that you hold responsible for wrecking your life because they got divorced when you were young. And they took from you what you thought was a happy home and, and, and you may have convinced yourself that you hate him or her or both. I've sat with grown men that were 40 and 50 years old and literally stunning to me had them break out crying and sobbing because of how their father treated them when they were kids. And they're grown men and they've never gotten over it. And it's plaguing their heart, it's hindering their Christian life and their service for God. I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's a tool of Satan. Maybe it's the boss that's done his best to keep you from advancing or a coworker whose entire life seems wrapped up in making you miserable when you show up on the job. I, I, I'm gonna tell you that, that it, it could be a teacher or a pastor or a brother or a sister or a neighbor. I've had people in churches where I preached before that were in the same family and sat across the pew from each other. They sat across the aisle from each other in different pews and would not speak when the service was over. In the house of God. Somebody did you wrong and somebody angered you and somebody hurt you and you can't seem to let it go. Now, Adam and Abizak had problems, okay? 
This is a man that obviously held grudges. I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with maybe what it was that caused him. Maybe, maybe there were insults. Maybe he had some, some hang-ups, some social lacked some social skills, obviously, but he felt like maybe that he wasn't appreciated or whatever it was, but something started him on a life, it started him on a life to where he simply, he simply took names and wrecked lives. And if you're not careful, you'll get to a place to where you become so comfortable in the presence of unforgiveness that all you do is walk around and, and add to the list of names of people that have offended you and the people that have hurt you and, and, and what you will become, you'll become another person that embraces and, and, and polishes and enjoys the role of victim. I'm a victim. If you'll hang around long enough, I'll tell you why I'm a victim. And don't try to take that title from me because I've had it for a long time now and I'm really at home with it and I enjoy it. And you'd be shocked how many people in church really genuinely live that way. Now let me make some practical points. First of all, first of all, you're going to reap what you sow. Now that's the primary application of, of our text tonight. What he did, he said, God hath requited me. I'm reaping what I sowed. I mean, at least he was honest before he died. I did this to everybody else and look what's happened to me. I'm reaping exactly, I am reaping exactly what I have sowed. And that's the primary lesson. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, dear friend, listen to me carefully. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, listen, you can come to church, you can sing, oh, how I love Jesus. The, the quartet can get up here. The trio can get up here. The choir can get up here. You can sing in the choir. You can, listen, listen, you, you, can, you can raise your Bible. You can say, whoo, what a song. You can get all excited in the church service, but I want to tell you something. Listen, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, you are at a stopping point. So you can't come to unforgiveness and say, I'm just going to circumvent that and move on in my Christian life. No. You can't circumvent it. No, no, no. When, when, you, when you come to a place where God Almighty is showing you, you've got to let, you, listen, you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to forgive. When you come to that place in your life, unless you are willing to forgive, you have, you have come to a stopping place in your life. And you know what I found out preaching at teen camps? I found out that teenagers struggle with forgiveness also. They harbor, they harbor, they're hurt. They're hurt, they, they've been scarred. They're wounded and they struggle with this idea of, of, of if I forgive them, how do I live my life on? Will you, listen, listen, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you forgive. You'll never be more like Jesus than when you forgive. And so you're going to reap what you sow. And, and I think that's what God has given to us here over and over and, and, and over again. And, and, and if we're going to, to find forgiveness, 
Um, we have to continue and continue and continue to forgive for one reason. Well, we've been forgiven. I mean, all I got to do is look at how many times God forgave me. I mean, Peter missed the boat. How many times, Lord, 70 times seven, seven times seven. Okay, 490. And so, you know, was Jesus saying once, look, just keep a, keep a record. When you've forgiven 490 times, take his head off. No, that's not, the, that's not what he's teaching. He's teaching, look how many times you've been forgiven. How can, how can people so need, in such need of forgiveness struggle with handing it out to other people? How can people that are so desperate for forgiveness be so chintzy in giving forgiveness out to others? You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. Because here's the deal. People that do not forgive, they live under the guilt of their own sins. You don't, if you don't forgive others, then you don't experience the joy of being forgiven yourself. The most miserable people I've ever pastored in my life. The most miserable, the worst Christians I've ever pastored in my life have been people that could not get a handle on forgiving those that had wronged them. So it's true, you, you, you're going to read what you sow. Number two, you're commanded to forgive even when you're right and they're wrong. So here, here's what we do. Here's what we do. We, we say, well, Pastor, you don't, know, you, don't, you don't know what they did to me. Preacher, they were wrong. Okay. All right, well, that's, that's, that's fine. But, but, but the reality is simply this. At some point, somebody has wronged you, and the question is, what are you going to do with it? And we all face that point at some time in life. So we, we try to justify ourselves, and, and we say, well, I'm... Uh, uh, I was right and they were wrong and, and they shouldn't have done that. Well, that's true and you shouldn't have done what you did that God forgave you of. Right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Let me give you some tough scripture. Why don't you just jump there? Matthew 5, verse 44. Let me give you something to chew on for a while that you really will not like out of this message tonight. Okay, let's look at it. I like Philippians 4.13. Hey man, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Woo! That's great, man. That's, that's people's life verse. That's good stuff, you know. Mine is Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I love that verse. Here's one I don't love. Matthew 5.44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Wait a minute now. I love my grandchildren. 21 of them, man, I got a few in heaven. 21 on earth, I love them, man. My house at Christmas time is like a daycare on steroids. They're running nuts everywhere. All kind, listen, we got drama queens. We got wild men. I love it, every single one of them. You know what I do when they go home? I give them each a bag of cookies. It's got chocolate and sugar in it. <laughs> My daughter said, Daddy, I say, hey, this is my house. You, you back off in my house. Love your enemies. 
Man, it's easy to love my grandkids. It's easy to love my friends. You know, I don't have a problem loving the Jets, but wait a minute, there's people that don't like me. They've chosen to be my enemy. I've got to love them. Wait a minute, watch this. Bless them that curse you. <laughs> wait a minute now. I've got to love my enemy. I mean, I, I, that's a struggle, but he's cursing me? Are you kidding me? I saw a plaque one time that said, one good fist is worth a thousand words. <laughs> no, he curses me? He, he curses me and I've got to bless him? I don't want to bless him. Well, lay hands on him. Do good to them that hate you. Oh wow! What can I? What could I? You despise. What can I do for you? How, how could I help you? How can I make your life easier? Look at look at this and pray for them. Watch this, boy. This is. Have you ever been despitefully used? You ever felt like somebody used you? You just got used. Somebody just used you and then walked out on you. Walked out of your life. They had no right to do that. I feel used. Well, Jesus said if you feel used, pray for them. That's, look, look at the responses. Four responses of the believer. Love, bless, do good, pray. Love, bless, do good, pray. Love, bless, do good, pray. We ought to memorize those so that when we get in tough jams and, and, and our, flesh is beginning to, our flesh is beginning to rise up and we want to strike back and we want to get even and we want to take a stand and say, hey, you can't do that to me. No, no, love, bless, do good, pray. That's the responses. Number three, not only are you commanded to forgive when you're right and they're wrong. Watch this. Number three, you're to forgive. Listen, listen. You're to forgive for Jesus' sake. Not theirs. Well, that helps me because I don't want to forgive for their sake. But, but the Bible says that you're not looking at them. You're looking at Jesus. Go with me. Would you please, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look over there real quick. Ephesians chapter number 4. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4, 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And I think he's telling us now how we grieve him. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Watch, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And here he gives us a measure. He says, all right, here's how you measure this. It gives you, you know, you got a yardstick, okay? So I'm going to measure it out. Okay, Lord, all right, so I'm to forgive others. Okay, he's God. So, so how did God forgive me? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Did you know this? Did you know that God didn't forgive me for my sake? He forgave me because of Jesus' sake. God didn't forgive me because he thought I was a great guy. He forgave me because of, of, of his love for his son. Let's say that I hear that Pastor Jed has been spreading rumors about me after the church planners conference. Somebody said, you don't know what the preacher's been saying about you. I know you think you're good friends, but you don't know what he's been saying. Samuel pulls me aside and said, Brother Dean, I, I love my pastor. I'm loyal to him, but there's some character assassination going on. And so I say to Samuel, well, Samuel, what did he say? He said, I don't even know if I should repeat it. And so, okay. 
He said, I'd feel better if we stepped out of the house of God and I could say it on the sidewalk. So we go out to the sidewalk there, nobody's around. And he said, Pastor Jet has said that you're a Florida Gator fan. <laughs> Are you kidding me? A Gator fan? That's the worst thing you could possibly say to a bulldog. Georgia hates Florida Gators, amen? That's why I like swamp people. They kill gators, you know? It's one of my favorite shows. Shoot him, you know? We're all cheering, shoot him, shoot him, you know? Biggest game of the year for us. We have two seasons. We play everybody else and we play Florida. If we lose every game and beat Florida, successful season. If we beat everybody else and lose to Florida, we're defeated. I mean, we're depressed. It's horrible. I'm being facetious, but here's the reality. If Brother Jet offends me, and I say I don't like him, I don't think he's worthy. No, no, that's, that's okay, that's true. I, I, don't, I don't think he deserves forgiveness. The reality, I don't forgive him because of his sake. I forgive him because of what I think of Jesus. Now, now look at me. I, look at me. Listen to me. Here's the reality. Whether you forgive people or not doesn't tell me what you think of them. Whether you forgive people or not tells me what you think of Jesus. Because God looked down at Dean and he said, Dean, you're a sinner. You're, you're, you're a sinner, son. And, and, and you're on your way to hell. I'm not going to forgive you because I want you on my team and you're such a great God. Man, if I get you, I got a winning side. No, no. God said, I'm forgiving you for one reason. Because my son was willing to die for you. And so God... For Christ's sake, forgave me. And so when I say I can't forgive them, this is what I'm saying. Jesus, I don't love you enough to let them go. That's exactly what that's teaching. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Number four, if you are to forgive, then you must forget. The offense. Okay? I'm pretty sure that's impossible. You, <laughs> you're way over the line there. I can't forget. Yeah, you can. Yeah. If you couldn't, Jesus wouldn't have asked you to. Jesus doesn't give you an assignment without giving you the wherewithal whereby you can do it. Remember what our yardstick is? How do we forgive? We forgive others as God has forgiven us. So has God forgiven us for Christ's sake, number one. Number two, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions. You can go north to south, and at some point you're going to stop going north and you'll start going south because there's a pole on both ends. But you go east and you can keep going east forever. You can go west and you can go west forever. And the Bible said uh, uh, th that, that he has taken our sins and he's cast them into the depths of the sea. The reality of the matter is we have to get to the place to where we can, we can forgive and we have to forget if we're going to do that. Somebody says, well, I can forgive, but I cannot forget. But Adonai Bezak didn't get mad, he got even. And that's how we live our lives so many times, remembering every slight and uh, everything that a fellow king ever did to him and Sometimes we keep records of that. If I was running across the parking lot and Jace and I, there's my cousin right there, Jace and I, we're running and we're, we're chasing each other and all of a sudden Jace does sort of one of his, you know, he does one of those moves and he's going that way and I'm looking and I trip 
and I fall down, man, I take the, I take the height off of my knee. I'm talking, I'm talking cement, asphalt, concrete, whatever. It's just off, gone. I don't have, I mean, it's just gone. I'm like, oh, my word. I wrap it up. We put, how many of you remember methylate? My mother used that on me. I should have sued her. But anyhow, <laughs> man, that was like pouring acid. Remember mercurochrome and methylate? You, you remember? We're aging ourselves, but it's true. Godly parents use mercurochrome. People that were not saved use methylate. Well, anyhow, it looked the same, but it didn't feel the same. So, so it heals over. And I come in, and I'm, it's still stiff, but I'm, I'm doing a little better. One of the girls says, Brother Dean, what happened to you? I said, you didn't hear? I was chasing Jason. He did a slick move on me, and I fell down. And I said, watch this. I pulled my pants leg up. And I grabbed the scab and pulled it open. And it just starts bleeding down my leg again. And she's like, oh, son. Preacher, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I hurt you. Ask me. I hurt myself. I want you to know, I want you to know how bad I've hurt myself. I was bleeding. You're bleeding now. I will ask because I hurt myself. Heals up. A few days later, I'm walking around again. Week later or so, somebody says, well, preacher, how you doing? Did you hear? <laughs> Did you hear what happened? Yeah. Well, let me show you. Pull it up and <laughs> people are going to stop asking me. <laughs> now look at me. Every time you repeat the story of the pain, you bleed again. You, you're feeling the emotion again of betrayal. Of Man, how could they say that? How could they do that? I, I tried to help them and they betrayed me. And every time we go through the same old, same old story, we're bleeding all over again. We have to choose. Listen, you make it. So how do you forget? You don't talk about it. How do you forget? You choose not to relive it. How do you forget you don't look sympathy for something that happened again? You, you just, you, you let it go. Let me read Amy Carmichael. This is the greatest quote. Listen, if I say yes, I forgive. But I cannot forget. As though the God who twice a day washes all the sands on all the shores of all the world could not wash such memories from my mind then I know nothing of Calvary love. Who's your God? Preacher, I sit down with people, I sit down with people and talk with them and they're, they're emotional <laughs> and they're telling me what's happened in their life and they're getting emotional. I can't believe that. And, and, they, and I'm sitting there just stunned, stunned at the emotion pouring out of them and I ask them, when did this happen? 20 years ago. Excuse me? It happened 20 years ago in a church we used to attend in another county. The pastor's dead, maybe, or he's moved on. But 20 years ago? And I want to say to them, who is your God? Are you kidding me? 20 years ago, and you're still bleeding? And you're still crying? 
and you're still harboring feelings of, of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, who is your God? He died to wipe the slate clean for us. I think maybe we need to start wiping the slate clean for others. Number five, and I hasten, unforgiveness leads to bitterness, and the longer it lives, the bigger it gets. This is, this is listen, Hebrews 12, 15. Listen to this phrase. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Listen to that again. Lest any root... Not a branch, a root. Not a trunk, a root. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Well, it ends there. No, no. And thereby many be defiled. And so I've seen people before. I've sat, I've sat and talked with them and, and they sat there and, 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 and cried. And they said, Preacher, how, where, how did our life get here? Where, what, happened to, what happened to my family we, we were in church and now what's happened to my family preacher? Somewhere down the line, somebody did them wrong. And it wasn't big. It was just a little small teeny thing that they just said, that's, that's mine. That root is mine. He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have said that. And I don't appreciate that. And I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal over it. I'm just going to take that little root and I'm going to bury it right here And let it live. I come from the deep south. Where mighty oak trees stretch their arms. And literally make canopies across roads. Limbs so thick that you could park a Mack truck up in them. If you could get the truck up there. But I'm reminded that they all started out. Just a small acorn. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Let me tell you this. Unforgiveness will not just defile you. It will defile your children, your family, and it can ruin a church. Because it spreads like cancer. Number six, and I close. Unforgiveness subjects you to demonic oppression. Now, here's a serious point. So I want you to stay with me. Because we, we get the idea that that, that, that that kind of thing took place in Jesus' day. No, it takes place today too. In fact, read Revelation. You'll find out it's going to take place in the future. What does that mean? It's when the devil is oppressing our life. It's when satanic influences are pressing into our life and we become literally, absolutely miserable. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 18, there's a, there's a, there's a story of, of a man who owed the wages of, of, of one man for three months. He owed one man's wages for three months. There's another man who owed the wages of 17 men for 10 years. So the guy that owned the greater lot goes to his Lord and says, I, I can't pay this. 
And the Lord says, well, I'm throwing you in jail. And he said, I beg you for mercy. I got a wife and kids. Don't do this to me. Please have mercy. And the, and, and the, the Lord, the judge looked at him and said, I'll forgive you. So he walked out having his debt cleaned totally. He's a free man. He should be in jail, but he's free. Well, he goes out, and, and the guy that owes him the wages of one man for three months, he, he, he goes to him and says, I want my money. And the guy said, I can't pay it. And he says, I'm going to throw you in jail. And he said, have mercy. And, 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 and he said, I'm not going to have mercy. And he had him, he had him tossed into prison. And this is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18. He had him delivered to the tormentors. You study that word tormentor. People are tormented in their health, their emotions, their finances, their family, their spiritual life. The most miserable people I know, the people that I believe are under more oppression than anybody I've ever known in my life or have been people that were unwilling to let it go. Unwilling to forgive. They received the forgiveness of God for their great sin, but will not hand out forgiveness to others. Years ago, I was in a gym working out to get ready for a, a triathlon. My brother-in-law came in and he said, Dean, you gotta go to the hospital. They've taken, they're having to rush Josiah there. Josiah was my almost just a few months shy of his fifth birthday, pedal to the metal. <laughs> he was full steam ahead. My favorite wrestling partner. I mean, he's, he would lower his head across the room and say, charge! He'd just come barreling into Papa. We'd roll out on the floor. Man, it was, it was war. I loved it. Well, he had been lethargic for a couple of days, and we knew something was wrong, but they weren't quite sure. They took him to the doctor, and the doctor said he's got some problems. So I went up to pediatric ICU. I'm in the waiting room, and coming down the hall is my son. He's got Josiah wrapped in his favorite blanket. And he says, Josiah, Papa's here. And I walked up to him and put my arm around my son, and I put my arm around Josiah, and I said, hey, buddy, Papa's here. Took his little head, and I kissed him in the head, and I said, Papa's praying for you. It's going to be okay, buddy. Papa's praying for you. They walked past and opened the doors to the pediatric intensive care unit, and when those doors swung shut, I had no idea how my life was going to change. He had a malignant brain tumor. It was the worst stage in the worst location, was inoperable, and there was basically nothing they could do. Every, every time we'd get a report, it was so bad, we would say, well, things can't get any worse. And they did. Well, things can't get any worse. And they did. And doctors would say, we want to meet with you. And the news was the worst. It was the worst. I, I went in the ICU room and, and I said, Josiah, how you doing, buddy? Papa's here. I, I would sit with him in the morning so his mom and dad could go bathe. And, 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 and I'd say, How's, how you doing? How, how's my buddy doing? And he would say, Papa, they keep sticking me with swords. 
They keep sticking me with swords, Papa. It hurts. And I would sit by his bedside as he slept and hold his little hand in mine. My son went to see the specialist in the hospital there. And when he came back, I said, well, what did they say? He said, well, I asked him, I asked him, should we have chemo? Should we have radiation? Should we try alternative medicines? Or should we take him on the make-a-wish trip to Disney World we've been offered? And I said, what did he say? And he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can't make a wrong choice. It doesn't matter. And, and I... I said, it doesn't matter. What, what do you mean it doesn't matter? You got four choices. Which one is the best one? There's not a best one. And so my son left and, and I, told, I told my wife, I said, what, what, who is this guy? Who is this specialist? What, what's he being paid for? You're telling me they take my grandson to him and they say, what should we do? And he says to me, it doesn't matter. You can, have, you can have chemo or you can have radiation or, or you can try some treatment down in Florida or some, some island somewhere. You can take him to Disney World. But it doesn't matter. And I told my wife, I said, I wouldn't, this is exactly what I said, if, if, I, had, if I had a pet coyote, I wouldn't take him to him. My exact words. Just burned me up. Well, they took him to Disney World. He had a week with Mickey. And one morning he was going to have breakfast with Mickey Mouse. His mama put him in a tub. And he closed his eyes and his mama said, Josiah, open your eyes, son. And he said, Mama, my eyes are open. I had been praying for God to take my life and not his. And, and God wouldn't take the barter. I had done enough reading to know that the next step was he would be totally paralyzed and lose his sight. And he would lay on a couch, unable to move unable to see, and I begged my God. They gave him seven months to live, and I begged God not to let him live that long. If you're going to take him, don't let him. Oh, dear God, do not let that happen, I beg you. I stood out at night where I felt like I could rake my fingers across the stars of heaven. And I prayed to my Father, dear God, please help us. Fifty-five days later, after being flown back to his home hospital, where it treated him so well, Josiah drew his last breath. We were sitting there in the waiting room, and down the hall came the specialist, and I saw him coming. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah. Didn't matter, did it? And he walked over to where my son sat. And he stood there and he said, 
I'm so sorry. And a grown man who deals with this type of tragedy all the time, his body began to shake and he began to sob and he put his head in his hands and he said, I so desperately wanted that boy to live. And God, the Holy Spirit, broke my heart. And I stood up from where I was at, walked over, put my arms around his neck and held him and thanked him for loving my grandson. Now here's the truth. What happened that day standing right there in that waiting room in front of my son, he knew nothing about. But what God did that day was he let me go free. He set me free. Because if I had held on to that, you'd be looking at the most miserable man that you've ever known. Because the reality of the matter is I couldn't pastor a church with that in my heart. I couldn't grow spiritually with that in my heart. I, I, listen, I couldn't have helped people with that in my heart. I couldn't pastor. I couldn't have preached a missions conference. How could I care about people when, I'm, when, I've, got, when I've got the bitterness that is growing up and overtaking everything that I am? It just gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller. Dear friend, listen to me tonight. Get rid of it. Just Get rid of it. We went back to Disney World a couple of years later with some of my other grandkids and we stood in front of Cinderella's castle. Giant crowd of people. It's the pre-COVID days. Giant crowd of people. I mean everywhere. You're just jostling to get where you can just see what's going on at the castle, at the night show, the light show, whatever they call it. And I'm standing there And preacher, all of a sudden, everybody around me starts singing, let it go. How do they know this song? Because it's a cult in our nation. I sing it to my granddaughter, let it go, let it go, let it go. And they say, Papa, there's more words to it than that. I said, that's all I know, let it go. That ought to be a choir special. Because there's a whole lot of theology in that. Now listen to me, listen to me. Do you want freedom? Do you want to pillow your head at night? And not have that, that, that tightness that you've lived with so long. It's not worth it. Bring it to an altar and just simply let it go. And you'll really be the free one. Let's bow our heads, could we?